Hello and welcome to the Atomic Hobo. My name's Julie McDowell and I'm a nuclear journalist and once a week I'll bring you a different aspect of how Britain and others prepared for nuclear war. This week I've decided to do a podcast on threads. It is, after all, the reason that I'm talking to you today. It's the reason I became obsessed with nuclear war and it's also the reason that I've probably never enjoyed any peace of mind since I saw it in 1984. And um, I hope I don't sound too melodramatic here, but it might even have helped shape a bit of a nervous breakdown that I had six years ago. That's how powerful this film is. Yeah, I got all this from a cheap BBC drama. So let's talk about threads. I'll start with a quick summary of the film in case anyone who's listening hasn't seen it. Although I doubt that because if you're listening to this podcast, then you're interested in the idea of the nuclear holocaust, how a country would cope with it. And so you must have seen Threads. But if you haven't, then obviously I recommend it to you. And I won't patronise you with anything as silly as a trigger warning. I think you know what you're getting into if you watch Threads. Uh, The DVD is freely available on Amazon, eBay, whatever, Um, and it was recently re-released on Blu-ray with special bonus features in both Britain and America. So it's out there, it's accessible, it's cheap. I recommend it. Threads um, is a drama about a nuclear holocaust, and I have never seen anything like it in my life. There is nothing as powerful and as devastating as that film. I actually used to be a TV critic for the Herald newspaper and um, looking back I think most of my reviews were a bit sour and a bit sarky. I was one of those TV critics who'd always rather be reading a book and yes I did the job for the money of course in case anyone asks why I was reviewing TV. It's because I was offered the job and I thought it sounded like an easy way to earn a buck and it was. But um, I'd always rather be reading or doing my own miserable nuclear research. Um, But also part of my dismissive attitude towards a lot of uh, modern TV was that simply none of it came close to the dreadful, awesome power of Threads, this thing that I'd seen back in 1984. So let me tell you before we go any further, in 1984, when Threads was first broadcast on BBC Two, I was only three um, admittedly, I was almost four. I was prob- I was three and uh, nine months or something. So it may be hard to believe that a three-year-old nipper would be allowed to watch such a thing and also that she could take in anything of it. But my parents were young and, I suppose, careless about that type of thing. For example, I can also remember watching The Evil Dead. Uh, Google tells me that was released in 1981. So I assume uh, I saw it when it came out on video, which was in 1983. I can't remember much about it, but I remember vividly a scene where a woman is running through the forest at night and the trees come to life and try to grab her hair. My uh, aunt Jeanette used to own a fabric shop selling materials, ribbons, buttons, that kind of thing. Um, It was at the back of Rutherglen Shopping Arcade and one day I vanished from the shop and the police were called and they were searching for me. I was found in the video shop at the other end of the arcade kneeling in front of a film poster of An American Werewolf in London, just totally transfixed by it, that horrible image, if you Google it, you'll know the one I mean, where the wolf is in profile and just his mouth is open and he's howling, it's horrible. I was obsessed with that. So this era was producing a lot of horror films and I, for some weird reason, was given free access to them, I was allowed to watch them. I assume my parents thought I was too young to take anything in, but... Oh God, they were so wrong. I was soaking it all in. 
this child was indeed taking notes. So let's look at threads in particular. Uh, It starts off just like an ordinary drama, a kitchen sink drama, I suppose you would call it. And so let's give my parents the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they didn't know what threads was. They just saw, you know, some run-of-the-mill drama. And so I was allowed to just stay kneeling on the carpet, playing with the big yellow teapot or whatever. And so when Threads began on a Sunday night, BBC Two, on the 23rd of September 1984, no one bundled me away to safety. I was allowed to kneel there and watch the bomb drop. Now that phrase, that terrible phrase, the bomb drops, waiting for the bomb to drop, the bomb might drop, that echoes across all of my childhood years with its terrible nagging uncertainty. That was the main thing I remember after watching Threads, that there's this thing called the bomb and it could drop, it could just, out of nowhere, the bomb could drop and we're all dead. And for a child in particular, that's horrible because... I suppose when you're wee, you're used to the fact that your daddy or your gran can sort things out for you. Anything that's going wrong, you take it to one of the adults, don't you? And they sort everything out. No one can help you. No one can reassure you. Uh, You couldn't give your dad a friendly kick under the table and say, Oh, Dad, stop kidding me on. It's, It's not real, is it? Because no adult could, in honesty, give you that certainty and reassurance nobody could say oh no 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 it's not real it's it's just made up it's just a film if they were being honest nobody could say that to you and for a child that is terrifying there is something out there that will get you and nobody can help you so threads starts off like an ordinary drama um a bit like a, a coronation street story and it's supposed to it's meant to feel a bit grubby, a bit ordinary, a bit down at heel. Um, In fact, the director did toy with the idea of recruiting some cast members from Coronation Street to star in the drama, just to give it that precise stamp of ordinary working-class familiar Britain. But he didn't go with that, thankfully. Um, Instead, he chose uh, unknown actors, which achieves his goal even better. These people do seem utterly ordinary because we don't recognise them. They're not big stars. So we're in Sheffield, a working class city which in the early 80s was being run down by deindustrialization, and lots of unemployment and indeed the characters do reflect that. One of them has recently been made redundant, um, others are worried about getting a flat, uh, tending to the allotment, keeping up with homework. It's all ordinary run-of-the-mill concerns that we can all relate to of course. Uh, The main characters, they have an additional worry, Ruth and Jimmy. They have been dating for a while and at the beginning of Threads they discover that Ruth is pregnant and Jimmy in particular isn't very happy about it but he decides to do the decent thing so he tells his family we're going to to, um, have the baby and get married although he has a bit of a scowl on his face when he says that. It's irrelevant who's to blame now. Point is, what are you going to do about it? We're going to get married. What for? Because we want to, what do you think? You don't have to, you know, Jimmy. I wouldn't want you thinking we were pushing you into it. Nobody's pushing us into out. It's what we want, we've decided. I suppose you've talked about an abortion. Of course we have. But neither of us want that. When I get married and have a baby... 
it's very clear that he's, he feels that he's being bullied into it or being nagged into it. So that's the worry with Threads at the beginning. This young couple, Ruth is middle class, Jimmy's working class. There are worries about jobs, about where they're going to live, about the fact they aren't married yet. This is all tumbling around in the background. So Threads starts with this very ordinary run-of-the-mill story, something that probably has been covered in a million films and a million soap operas. The young unmarried couple with the baby, what are they going to do? But Threads is different, of course, because in the background to all these um, ordinary concerns... We get little hints that war is brewing. and We hear a radio broadcast crackling away in the background. We'll catch a bit of a news clip before in the pub someone switches over to the football or something. We'll see newspaper headlines um, in in the corner shop. And they all tell us of trouble in the Middle East, of Soviet troop movements. And then things start to escalate. We hear that Britain has closed its airports. Petrol stations have been um, requisitioned. Protect and Survive starts to be broadcast. And there are two particular scenes which symbolise this dreadful approach to war. One which absolutely kills me, it really puts a chill right through me, is um, there are lots of war protests going out, going on out in the street. But in, we're in a museum, we're in, we're in an art gallery, uh, and the workers with their white gloves on are very silently and very sadly taking paintings down off the wall. Now that's all we see in that scene. There isn't any big song and dance about how they have to remove the artworks to protect them. They've got to bundle them up and hurry them away by dead of night to a quarry in Wales for their protection. There's none of that. All we see is these two men and the scene feels very, very sad, very quiet, very the light is very dim as they take the art off the walls. Uh, and a second very quiet scene, you see a tiny flash of it, is um, at night, the local fire station, the doors quietly open, and the fire engines, with their blue lights flashing, but with no sirens, making no noise, they just quietly trundle down the street, one after another, and leave Sheffield. And of course, the implication is that's them being dispersed for safety. So those two scenes, very quiet, uh, wordless scenes, they're, they're horrifying, but they're also sad. That's a, that's a strange thing about Threads. Even though everyone associates Threads with horror and dread, it's also unbearably sad. Now, tension, this background tension, these hints of uh, the gathering storm, they build so slowly. The characters keep persisting with their normal life. Um, Ruth, for example, she starts to have morning sickness. Jimmy's father, Mr Kemp, he unscrews the kitchen doors and their hinges trying to follow the protect and survive instructions to build a refuge but of course while he's doing that while he's dragging the kitchen doors through the living room uh, Mrs Kemp his wife is just tutting and saying oh you're going to scratch the paint so ordinary in life um, the worries, the nags, the complaints, the concerns these persist even though nuclear war is coming Um, and actually in a booklet I read recently um, called Psychological Aspects of Nuclear War. That did say that in the run-up to a nuclear attack, there would be a percentage of the population who would be totally fixed in their belief that everything will be alright. The implication there is it's not that they're optimistic, it's just that they, they, they can't accept that the world's going to end, of course, quite naturally. They can't accept it. And so, as a defense mechanism, they say, don't be silly, don't be silly, nothing will happen. So I suppose that's what Mrs Kemp is doing when she says her husband's going to chip the paintwork if he tries to build them a tiny fallout shelter. 
you can protect yourself and your family. And later on, we will show you what steps to take. So she thinks everything's going to be all right. And she keeps um, with, she sticks with that perception up until the very moment when the sirens start to wail. And at that moment, she realises she should have done what her husband was doing. She should have helped him build the shelter. And so she grabs um, some bin bags and she props them up against the doors that he's laid against the wall. And she frantically tries to pat them against the mattresses to try and build some layer of protection. But of course, it's too late. She's got, what, four minutes now to build her shelter. So when that dreadful moment arrives in Threads, when the sirens start to wail, it's so powerful because one of the scenes takes place on a shopping precinct uh, called The Moor. It's a real place in Sheffield. Again, the film sticks to realism. This is a real shopping street in um, Sheffield. Um, If you're a Threads nutter like me, you'll even have looked it up on Google Street View. But when the sirens start to wail in Threads, we see people shopping on The Moor. Ordinary people are there. We see some dumpy old women with their coats and their hats on. We see mothers with their buggies uh, lugging some carrier bags around. Ordinary life, of course. Ordinary life. That's what Thread is all about. Ordinary society. And what happens to it after the bomb drops? Um, if you haven't seen the film, that's why it's called Threads. Because um, Peter Jackson's message was that society functions because of all the threads that bind us together. And a nuclear war would snap all those threads, leaving everyone isolated and everyone alone. And you can't can't survive in that kind of society. Whether you like your fellow man or not, it seems that you do need them. (laughs) So when the sirens go off in the shopping precinct, everyone just starts to... There's a moment where everyone looks around and you think you can see the disbelief in their eyes. These people were only extras. They weren't actors, but they still, they capture it well. They look around as if, what the hell? This cannot be. This cannot be. Even though we know by now that tension was building, the news reports uh, were telling everyone to prepare, they look around, they look up into the sky, they look around everyone else. What do we do? What is this? How can this be? And they start to scream and they start to run. And like headless chickens, they just run. They don't know where they're going. They just run. Some run that way, some run this way. Some people run into shops as though, you know, good old Marks and Spencer can protect you. And then comes the flash and the mushroom cloud rising. We see Jimmy, um, poor Jimmy who wasn't quite ready for marriage. We see Jimmy and his pal, they ducked under a lorry when the sirens first started and they now crawl out from under the lorry. They're covered in dirt and sawdust and Jimmy's pal looks up. They both look up at the terrible thing, the mushroom cloud in the sky. Jesus Christ, the dummy. And from this moment, the film speeds up. There's no more worrying about jobs and families and the redundancy money. No more worrying about mortgages and homework and the paper round because these things no longer exist and nor do the people who worried about them. So most of the characters we knew from both families, they simply vanish. They simply vanish. And we focus instead on Ruth, who's now very heavily pregnant And she makes her way through Sheffield in a state of shock. In one famous montage, which is is horrifying, she makes her way through the streets and she just looks at the sights, (laughs) the sights of a nuclear war. 
Um, she she sees um, a burned hand reaching out from a pile of rubble. She sees a shaking old man assembling some toys. Perhaps they were his grandson's toys. He's just sitting there huddled on a pile of rocks. And um, most horrible of all, there's a, a burned woman who's clearly lost her mind. And she's clutching her dead baby. She's holding it tight to her breast, trying to protect it, trying to feed it trying to keep it warm. Ruth just stares like a zombie. She walks and walks for miles. She stumbles. And then finally she just, she snaps and she just lets out a terrible silent howl. After that the film jumps ahead further. Um, Ruth gives birth alone on the moors. She has to bite through her umbilical cord, which um, film geeks will know was made of pink licorice from a local factory. Uh, we jump ahead further. She and her grown-up daughter are put to work trying to resurrect farming in Britain, but it's impossible. There's no more agricultural machinery. Uh, any machines which did survive the blast, uh, there's no fuel left to run them, of course. And the land itself has been tainted by radiation, by the UV lights and by the devastation of the nuclear winter. So the population drops According to the film, the population drops to medieval levels and most young and old people just disappear from Britain. I won't go any further. Uh, you don't need me to tell you there's no happy ending. Um, there is a a memorable ending. I won't ruin it for anyone. Now, um, let me talk about the impact Threads had on me. Uh, and please do tell me what the impact was on you. I honestly would love to hear this. Um, please Chat with me on Twitter about this. I'm on Twitter at Julie A. McDowell or my nuclear Facebook page is called Nuclear Britain. Let me know, please, what your memories were of seeing threads for the first time and if it scarred you for life, <laughs> as it did me. Uh, my only memory of it, as I said, I was three when I first saw it. All I can remember is, for some reason, I remember kneeling on the carpet. I can remember the pattern on the carpet. It was a hideous 80s thing. Uh, a speckled grey carpet with a, with kind of fuzzy red rings on it, if you can believe me. Uh, I remember kneeling on the carpet right in front of the TV and watching this thing. The only specific scene I can remember is when the bomb drops and we see fire, devastation, and we see explosions, obviously. In one particular scene, which I think everyone will remember, is we see um, milk bottles on a doorstep and we see them melting in the heat. And that, of course, stayed with me forever, melting milk bottles. That's a particularly horrible scene. And again, it ties in with Thread's desire to convey ordinary life because earlier in the film, we saw the milkman doing his rounds and leaving the milk on the doorstep. And again, the sound of the, the milk flow in the early morning streets and then the, the clink of the milk bottles. I suppose these are very homely and domestic and comforting sounds. So we see the milk bottles being delivered earlier, but we think nothing of it, of course. Yeah, so what? The milkman's delivering milk? Yeah, big wow. Doesn't mean anything. But then later, we see the milk bottles melt and trickle on the doorstep. So that is the only specific scene I remember. But what I do remember clearly, and which stayed with me forever, and I still have it now, it's never shifted, is the terrible sense of dread. Um, you can say that Threads is horrifying, terrifying, scary, disgusting, tense, sad, but it also just made me feel sick. That terrible childlike dread, the same thing you might feel when you're a child and you think there's something under the bed or you think there's something out in the hall. 
or when you know that someone, there's a bully in school and he's going to be waiting for you tomorrow morning at the school gates. All these childish feelings of dread. Threads immediately summons all of that for me. So I associate dread. The film provokes dread with me. And that the same kind of dread which makes me feel absolutely sick. That kind of nagging, horrible, sick feeling. That, that feeling, I don't want to go to school tomorrow. I don't want to go to the dentist. I don't want to go to hospital. I don't want to get in trouble. That dread that we, we all felt, I'm sure, in childhood at some point. Threads assaults me with that feeling. Uh, Martin Amos um, said the same thing. He said in his introduction to his book, Einstein's Monsters, he said, I'm quite sure, I don't have it to hand at the moment, I'm quite sure he said, nuclear weapons make me sick or make me feel sick. And that's exactly what it is with me. So that's what I remember from Threads. I remember mel- melting milk bottles and this sickening feeling of dread. Although I am grateful that my parents allowed me to watch that because maybe Threads got me at a particular moment and maybe I was just ripe for seeing that at that time and it planted that seed of dread and I'm still talking about it now. I'm still obsessed with nuclear war, even now. I also mentioned earlier um, about a nervous breakdown I had a few years ago. I I won't go into that in lots of detail. It's it's irrelevant, I suppose. Um, But I... To cut a long story short, I began having panic attacks and the panic attacks grew so severe that it turned into, um, I suppose, agoraphobia, you'd call it. I couldn't leave the house. There was a period, I think, I can't remember now exactly, but I think maybe about six weeks where I, I literally couldn't go outside, couldn't even put the bins out, couldn't even go to buy bread or milk. Thankfully, I had friends and family who could pop round to do these things for me. I, I could not go outside. And... Um, an ex-boyfriend of mine worked at a college around the corner from my flat and it was uh, summer at this time and luckily he was able to come to my flat on his lunch break and say, look, come on, come on out. And I'd say, no, no, I can't, and start crying. But at one point it was um, a lovely sunny day and I must have felt stronger and more able. So he just gave me his arm and we said, okay, let's go out into the street. Um, I lived, uh, anyone in Glasgow will know where this is. I lived in Mount Florida at the time. So the goal was to get from Mount Florida to Queen's Park. It was a lovely sunny day and he was saying, come on, let's go to Queen's Park. I couldn't quite manage it, but what we did manage was to get out into the end of the street. And the reason this is relevant to threads, or perhaps relevant to threads, is that when I took my first step out into the path and out into the street, I was terrified of the sky. I was holding his arm, clutching his arm and taking baby steps down the path. So he was guiding the way, which is just as well, because I couldn't look up. I was so frightened of the sky. I can't even explain it now. I thought, I don't know, the sky, it seemed so wide and vast and so huge. And I just thought if the sky falls, it will suffocate me. I I don't know, but I couldn't look at the sky. And I've linked that recently with my nuclear war obsession. Because, of course, um, in nuclear war films, in nuclear war literature, in nuclear war advice, you're always told don't look at the sky. The danger, of course, always comes from the sky. You're told to duck and cover. You're told not to look at the flash, to take cover. The threat always comes from the sky. Maybe I'm talking nonsense, but I just, I always think that the two things are vaguely connected. I've been fearing the sky since 1984, almost. And I can't help thinking that this uh, breakdown that I had and this terror of going outside, this fear of looking at the sky, (laughs) is connected to my nuclear war obsession which was started by Threads. So I can trace it all back to BBC Two in 1984. Threads is obviously so massive, such a huge, important topic in uh, 
nuclear war popular culture that it deserves more than one podcast what I might even do is break it up into five or ten minute chunks and we can just analyse each one that's the level of attention it deserves I'm also going to be a bit cheeky and say that I've set up a Patreon Um, so if you like the podcast if you want to support it you can throw a pound or two my way you don't have to of course I will keep doing this podcast and it will always be free there's not any barrier being put up I just thought hey why not if people want to chuck a few pounds my way I will not say no that will help buy some more nuclear war books (laughs) you can find it on the Patreon website by searching for of course the Atomic Hobo the link is patreon.com forward slash Atomic Hobo and what I've done is set up rewards so if you throw some money my way you get something cool in return Um, take a look at the website you'll see what rewards I'm offering you can get a shout out on the episode as a supporter you can get postcards from all the nuclear sites I visit you can even get a thank you in my books acknowledgement section you can even get a free signed copy of my book when I get the damn thing finished and published but um, even if you don't contribute the podcast will always be free I'm not going to start throwing up a, a paywall or a barrier to it It will always be here, free of charge. Search for The Atomic Hobo, patreon.com forward slash Atomic Hobo. I'll also throw the link on my Twitter and Facebook site. So that's us for this week. This has been a particularly long episode, just because I'm so obsessed with threads. I will return to threads in later episodes, uh, perhaps dividing up into five or 15 minute chunks and analysing it bit by bit. We could do that with all the nuclear war films. We could do that with all the nuclear war books. This topic is maddening, terrifying and endless. But um, that's all for now and I'll be back next week with another podcast. Thank you for listening. Bye now.